The Secrets of Stargate is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, Episode 5. General West Jackson has identified the seventh symbol. All right, here we go. We are about to try to make a connection. All we gotta do is bust out of here, commandeer the ship, and fly on home. say that a lot. I know that this could be dangerous, but this is our job, right? It's what we signed on to do. It was never about going home. It's about getting us to where we're going. Hi, I'm Jack Barazzini, and you're listening to The Secrets of Stargate, where we talk about the hidden meanings and deeper layers found in the Stargate movies, TV series, and more. Joining me today are uh, Lisa Jones. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Jack. How's it going? Pretty well. And Victor Lambs. Hey, Victor. Hi, Jack. Father Corey cannot be with us today. He is actually on a, a secret mission through the Stargate to uh, evangelize the people of Abydos, so we'll have to catch up with him next week. Does this mean we can eat all the candy we want? I think so, yeah. Pretty oh, sure those boy. are the rules. <laughs> today we are discussing the fifth episode of the first season of uh, Stargate SG-1, The Broca Divide. In this episode, the SG-1 team, using coordinates from the refugees from Chulak, visit the planet P3X797. They discover that the planet is tidally locked and it permanently dark on one side and light on the other. On the dark side of the planet, there are animal-like primitive humans. They discover on the light side, the planet is inhabited by humans that are descended from the Minoans and that they refer to the primitive humans as the Touched. After returning to the SGC, the members of the expedition begin to devolve into the Touched, and it is up to Daniel Jackson and Teal'c to discover the source of the contagion before it escapes the SGC. I've got to say, this episode was mostly a missed opportunity, I feel like. It was several missed opportunities. They, yeah. they tried to do a lot with this episode, and you know, it's, it's a new squad, you know, they came on the field, they gave it their all, but you know, at the end of the day, it just wasn't enough. I do also like that the character who's named uh, Make Peace is ready to shoot everything. <laughs> a little bit of irony there. Did not think <laughs> about love... that. That's good. He becomes a bit of a recurring character, but yeah. But yeah. yeah. You mentioned that the planet is tidally locked, and not only are there are there humans on the dark side of, of the planet, but there's also trees, which annoyed me to no end. There were a lot of issues with that whole concept because if a planet is tidally locked, it's not like there's like a sharp dividing line between dark and light. There's going to be like a hundreds of miles wide kind of area of twilight and you're going to you're going to be getting through that. So they, but they never show the transition. So I guess maybe they got there quickly, but they're all on foot. So, yeah. I have to say the best part about this episode really was getting Dr. Janet Frazier. So. Absolutely. That, that is the best part about this episode is getting her as the new doctor and she will be with us for many, many years and become a really integral part of the team that she's not the team. Yeah, but, I liked her character. Really part of the team. So it was, it was nice. Teal'c is quickly becoming my favorite character, though. I love how deadpan he is with everything. Yeah. And I, I think at this point, I'm still not sure if he's supposed to be in on the joke. I think he is like later on when he makes these jokes, it's clear that, you know, he's putting on you know he's putting jack on and stuff at this mm-hmm. at this point you know you're you're not sure if, if he's just the you know they're doing the wharf jokes you know where he's the fish out of water but later they make it clear that you know he's definitely in on the joke a, a little bit more nice yeah i like that yeah. so they give us this planet that is based on minoan culture and i kept waiting for it and it never happens there is no minotaur or anything like that i was thinking <laughs> like okay there's going to be some sort of maze or something but no they just kind of reference yeah. it and leave it alone right there's some giant bullheads and that's all you get yeah so (laughs) 
it was it almost felt like watching a synopsis of an episode or like a movie way cut down because I didn't feel like they really spent enough time on any sort of the concepts they explore in the episode to really make any sort of impact. Mm -hmm. A good example of that is when later on in the episode, Samantha Carter's wheeled into sick bay with like a knife wound to the stomach and they they don't show it on, they don't show it on screen. And they're like, you don't even know it's her being wheeled in. And it's like, oh, what's up with her? Well, you know, Samantha Carter got knifed in the stomach, you know. No big but deal. She's but up, a, what, a day later and back on the planet. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like they, they did that just to set up that, that horrible cringe worthy joke at the end. Yeah. So basically, this culture, they have, um, the, they call themselves, uh, the, the land of the light. And on the dark side, there are the touched. And it's some sort of, uh, I think they end up saying that it's a parasitic virus, which I don't know how that's different from a regular virus. They don't. <laughs> They talk about it being a parasite, but then a life form, but also a virus. So it's a nebulous contagion that causes you to devolve into a, like a Cro-Magnon type. And that is also something that they're really fuzzy on because they say that it shuts down the primitive parts of your brain, but then it also makes you like develop a huge forehead ridge and get really hairy. Yeah, it's pretty far-fetched that they would have like this kind of like global pandemic that's easily treatable by, you know, readily available drugs and stuff. But um. But yeah, I mean, because they treat it at the end, spoiler alert, with antihistamines, maybe it's just like, you know, when you get stung by a bee and your face smells out, maybe it's kind of like that. <laughs> it just, it felt like they, they had a lot of these concepts they wanted to explore, but they didn't stick with one. Mm-hmm. They packed a lot of different things. Right. And they do that thing that you, you find commonly where they'll, like with the whole concept of cavemen being like animalistic, it's like, even if they're becoming more animalistic, they're not really acting like like cavemen they're acting like zombies it kind of makes me think of that uh quote from um the everlasting man by gk chesterton about the cavemen he may have been a brute but there's no reason to think he was more brutal than the brutes like they don't really act like an animal society they just act like kind of like in a what's that movie 28 days later yeah with, like, the rage virus they just immediately want to start attacking things yeah and then you see how tuplo and the minoans act and and it does you do get one of those like who's the real monsters here yeah they should have just stayed six feet apart. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the circle of isolation. Isolation circle. Yeah, I was yeah. like, Ooh, I, I think I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I, I really liked that um, Teal had a little more to do in this episode than just stand there and shoot something. You know what I mean? He mm. was he was given the responsibility of, of going there and finding the getting the blood he loses daniel jackson which is a whole you know for some reason i don't think that's hard to do because daniel doesn't listen and he he just does his own thing and uh you know but but teal comes back he you know he he saves the day he's very integral and so i i liked that for him it was a little more character development we do get one of my favorite teal quotes in this episode which is i'm afraid i lost daniel jackson on the dark side of the planet i am sorry (laughs) (laughs) And no one rushes back to find him because they got bigger, bigger issues, bigger issues. Yeah. So I I feel like this episode was more, I don't know. I I don't know what they were trying to do. My thought was um, trying to make it a fun, you know, they had a lot of kind of showing the team banter, you know, we got SG3, the Marines, um, you got the new doctor, you've got, you got the relationships again, you know, I just, I don't know too much. Too much with little focus. Right. It just felt like a hodgepodge. And the character motivations 
seemed very odd in this episode like so they the whole reason they're going to this planet is because they have deduced from talking to the refugees from Chulak that this might be where uh, Apophis is and that might be where they can find Shari and Skara and they go there mm-hmm. it's obviously not what that is mm-hmm. and Jack O'Neill immediately wants to say he's just like okay let's you know check the next planet and Daniel Jackson stands up and says that he wants to continue researching this planet because of the culture and the cultural um, findings they can have there. But it's his wife who has been infected by a gold. You'd think he'd be the one to be like, no, we need to just keep checking until we find her. You can send another team behind us who can kind of do the second contact. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I feel like the mention of Shari and Scar was just kind of a, oh, like throw it out there as the reason we're here. But right. it, this episode really set up as, you know, they said the president has okayed them to, you know, when they go to planets, if it, even if it's not a Gould planet, right, you look for the scientific and the cultural things. So maybe that was the real purpose of the episode was, was kind of launching that. Well, Bill Clinton was a big fan of the Minoan. So, I mean, yeah, well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, there, <laughs> There's a lot of lantern hanging in this episode, you know, like I think we get one of the first instances of Jack actually like lantern hanging the fact that they send the MALP or excuse me, M-A-L-P probe <laughs> through the gate. Some things you just hear it and it's just like, no, that's wrong. But they send it, they send it through the gate and like it can't see because it's dark. And yeah. and immediately right. you think um, there's no infrared cameras or anything on it. You know, I, I have a $20, you know, wise camera that you know, could see far enough into this planet to see the cavemen. But you, you do get Jack saying when they put on the night vision goggles saying, gosh, it'd be nice if the Malp, you know, had had these. So at least they are starting to get into their uh, their lantern hanging there with that. Yeah, no, I did appreciate that. Now, did anyone go, go jumping back to the they, they were allegedly there because of the symbols, right? And they're looking for Apophis. I don't know. Maybe you asked the first prime of Apophis where Apophis might be. That's I don't a really know. Good I mean, I'm point. thinking the person who might know the most gate addresses would be the person who'd been in the service of Apophis for, I don't know, 100 years. Just 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 me. That was yeah, kind of I random. <laughs> maybe maybe he just has a really bad sense of direction. Maybe, maybe so. Yeah. That might be yeah. his that might be his excuse. He, yeah. And he this, doesn't understand gold magic or the Stargate. <laughs> and I didn't catch this, but this is like one of the goofs listed on whatever site. It's it's you know, they talk about how the uh, refugees saw, you know, partial gate addresses it was being dialed, but the the people online are very quick to point out that only Jack was anywhere near the DHD at the time and he uh didn't recall seeing anything. So so there's your little continuity here for the day, <laughs> as if this episode needed any. <laughs> I guess you could headcanon that to say these these refugees were on Chulak and the gate's there. So maybe in the past, uh, they've gone up to the gate and seen it. That's, yeah. I don't know. Who knows? I think, yeah, I think it was more just a, <laughs> hey, that's an easy explanation. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot that's confusing in this. They talk about the Hilksha, which are the evil gods, but they talk about them as being distinct from the good gods, which, and then they lead you to think that the Goulds, so they they are pluralizing with the S at this point, and they haven't you know settled on the Gould. But they lead you to think that the Goulds are the good gods um, at some point, which is which is confusing. So you're wondering who these you know who's more evil than the than the Goulds. Another thing that uh, bugged me about this episode, and I think this is just down to poor writing, was the fact that as soon as um can't remember the guy's name the first guy who oh, uh, no. started acting aggressive yes johnson at yeah. the beginning daniel johnson anyone else think that was a little strange choice for i mean daniel johnson and sitting across from daniel jackson sorry I, yeah it was very sensitive to have like the first guy turn into a caveman be a person of color but yeah 
I, I, yeah, I found that bit bothersome too. Just the way that was kind of, kind of handled. Yeah. The explanation, maybe he's drunk. Like who's who's drinking in Cheyenne mountain. Come on guys. But as soon as that happens, they don't say, okay, obviously this is whatever happened to the people on that planet. Let's lock down everything and put everyone from the team in quarantine. They just let everyone go about their day. And it happens like three or four times. (laughs) Like when O'Neill gets, uh, jumped by, um, Dr. Carter, they don't say, okay, you, you've been in contact with her. You're getting quarantined too. He walks out there and he starts punching Jackson. So like this horrible containment procedure. Yeah. And and later on, like as soon as you come through the gate and like you have like a, a runny nose they'll throw you in isolation for like six months is their protocol later on in the series we did get a good line <laughs> reading from jack when when carter jumps him and is like the whole i want you thing he does have a good line reading on like why i mean no <laughs> yeah. that was a good line yeah i did like how they at least played that where he wasn't they didn't do the thing where he's like into it yeah he was just like weirded out by it so yeah. i appreciated yeah. that they kept it kept it like that also, some good banter between Frazier and uh, Dr. Jackson uh, when when uh, Dr. Frazier refers to Teal'c as Mr. Teal'c. And yes. you see Jackson do his first of his like eyebrow raises and says, you know, Teal'c, you know, correcting her. But she calls him Mr. Teal'c again later. Yeah, was <laughs> I awesome. didn't catch that. Yeah, she does it again. Made me think of Mr. Spock or something like that. Yeah. And you notice we don't know. We don't get any background on how long she's allegedly been there. What happened to the other doctor? You know, we don't we don't get any of that. Um, But I thought her automatic relationship with Jack O'Neill was interesting that she, you know, you see her, you know, going in and ta- he, he clearly is not in his right mind. And she's in there talking to him about her findings, what she's stumbling on, what does he think, you know, all of this. And then and then talking to him um, that he's her superior and stuff. So I thought it was really interesting that they had her come in, not necessarily as a new person, but like she's already been there, that we just hadn't seen her yet. I wonder if she... And I I looked this up, but I couldn't find anything about it. But I wonder if maybe there was some scenes she had that were cut from previous episodes that introduced her. It didn't seem like that. But yeah, she does. She's just kind of there. And it's almost like you're expected to know who she is. If you think back to the uh, Kowalski's episode, and I can't remember the name of it, um, where he killed the doctor, the second doctor. So, I mean, I guess you could theorize, well, she's brought in. So Dr. Warner's still there somewhere. And I can't remember if we ever see him again. Um, So maybe now, you know, she's filling in that space. Because think about it, if they're there 24-7 and there's people coming and going all the time, you would have more than one doctor. But she is, I mean, she becomes the mainstay, the doctor of the show. I just, I kind of like that they didn't go through. The team is all still getting to know each other. We're still getting to know them. They bring her in and they just act like everybody knows her. She's good. I kind of liked that choice. Another another minor recurring character who has like his big moment in this episode is, is Walter, the, uh, you know, the gate technician. He gets to pull uh, Jack off of Dr. Jackson and... Uh, I think that's his big action moment for the entire series. I don't know that he actually does that much ever again. Yeah. One of my kids was watching it with me and they go, go Walter. (laughs) Yeah. Action Walter. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And the guys that fell out of the window, did they survive? They looked pretty dead to me. Yeah. They, they kind of, yeah. We didn't get any clarification there. I, I, watching it, this time I thought maybe they did survive, but I thought there's no way. I mean, seeing what happens to Make Peace and uh, later on, and like the how his character developments, I, I think he's justified in what he does based on this episode and how uh, carelessly they treat his team. Another first in this episode is, uh, you know, we get our kind of lockdown. Nobody can leave the base, and and Hammond ordering that that anybody who leaves the base is uh, shot on sight and their bodies burned, and that's another recurring uh, trope that we'll see with the show. You know, anybody who leaves the base is is to be 
be shot or, you know. Lock it all down. Stop. Yeah. yeah. I guess you think about this is the first of many things. Well, I guess the first thing that was brought back through the gate was the Gould lar- uh, larva and mm. Kowalski. But the first disease virus, I mean, this that's a recurring. I mean, that's not a that is not a spoiler because I'm pretty sure we all figure that's what's going to happen here. Lots of things right. come come through with them that they don't expect. So, oh, and did you love how casually Jack just looks behind their neck? The the light ones, or he just he just kind of sweeps across one of their hair and like, oh no, they're <laughs> fine, we're good, like no cool. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way they could have covered that up. At least we um don't get any sort of those awkward uh, decontamination chamber scenes that they felt the need to stick into Star Trek Enterprise. Yeah, I don't think there you really get any is. of that in SG One or Atlantis. Okay. Yeah. I can't think of any. Oh, I, you know what? I just thought, I thought of one. I thought of one, but that's all I can think of. I, know. I thought uh, Richard Dean Anderson did a pretty good job as a Colonel Caveman with the lines he was, he was given. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, like a I, I was just, cat. He, I, and I just, I, my mind kept going back to young Frankenstein where, um, you know, uh, Gene Wilder is being strangled and he's pantomiming to Marty Feldman to, to give the, the monster, the sedative and Marty Feldman's like, set a give, set it, set a give, you know? I yeah. I want to know, was that scream he was doing, was that him or was that, was that a overdub? Because I've heard, I've heard, uh, my son make that sound sometimes before when he's upset, but he's four. So, you know, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I heard that and I thought he's a, pretty well-respected actor and i thought that's a kind of a strange choice i don't know i mean i i don't know a bit less than dignified yeah i mean you usually would give that kind of a scream thing to you know one of the the guys you see this one episode and they don't see them again right not not the main character as as they're going through the window or something right (laughs) you could that could be the show's wilhelm scream i guess they could just play that whenever somebody falls through a window or yeah 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 no that's not (laughs) It is also uh, funny that this is the third planet that looks just like the uh, Vancouver area. So and it will not be the last. <laughs> nope. Uh, I think next week we get another one. Hey, it's it's a nice area. I mean, if most planets in the universe look like that, I'd be okay with that. I've never been to Vancouver, but watching this series really makes me want to go to the Pacific Northwest and go see it all because I've never been up south. So they, yeah. they did succeed in that. They make me want to travel. It's nice. I mean, I think in a Star Trek Voyager, pretty much every planet is very clearly southern california so it just depends on where you're filming we do get a little bit of sand you know i think they found a sand pit or two in vancouver to film in so we, we get a little little change up from time to time uh, that's just kind of pre science fiction tv shows having the technology and the budget to really alter the mm-hmm. landscape because i'm uh, seen like in um star trek discovery they'll do things where they'll just color grade the planets differently so even though it is I'm pretty sure it's Vancouver. They can do things with image manipulation now to make everything look a little bit different and a little bit more alien. You're saying, Victor? Oh, I was actually going to make that exact same point that later on they do. (laughs) They do do color grade and color correct the footage, but they don't do it often. I was going to say the only other thing that drove me crazy speaking of that was how dark it was in the beginning of this episode again. We, We talked about that. I think last week or week before last. And then this one again, it's I just wanted them. I I understand they're supposed to be in the dark. I get it, but I can't see. It was a little aggravating. That was hard to follow. And also um, another thing I didn't really like is Daniel, the way Daniel Jackson was so cavalier about the woman who is captured by the cavemen people. He's just like, oh, well, that's just how they do that. It's like she's she's being assaulted. You need to do something about it. Like I'm sitting there saying, and you got so upset when your wife was captured. And that's just how they do that, too. So, yeah, 
I'm on the lookout for like a what point Dr. Dr. Jackson goes from like, you know, eh, you know, everything's okay to like actually wanting to interfere and like right the wrongs of the primitive cultures he encounters. And he will. Yeah, Yeah. he will. Right. And so it will be interesting to take note of that, because right now he is very much like, let's just not let's just study them. Yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe he's doing that whole kind of antisocial detached scientist kind of thing where he's not really viewing it as people. It's more just your specimens we can study. But yeah, it doesn't doesn't come across very well. So I'm glad that he does develop as a character. Well, and I'm glad that this is, I, th- I believe, the last episode where we see any mentions or talk about rape and forcing and, you know, women, you know, all, all of what we did last week and then this week. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but Victor, but I think this is the last time we see this and I am thankful we're moving on to better storylines and making Carter more of an equal member you know, the women being equal members versus kind of mm-hmm. constantly bringing it up, you know, that they're women and there's all this other stuff. I don't know. It just I can't remember. 20 years ago, was this OK? Yeah, I, I really I, I think, wish I could remember that. I think this was like the very end of that kind of writing. And I'm glad that they moved beyond that because it can just get really really aggravating it's it's even funny like you could talk about a show like a start next generation and people talk about how progressive and forward-thinking star trek was but the way counselor troy is used constantly throughout that show another alien baby a, yeah. yeah yeah and i don't know if part of it was because yeah it was on showtime so they thought well, hey we can do adult themes you know and this is you know their ham-fisted way of dealing with it i don't know <laughs> That really could be, though, since they don't use any language. They don't, except for the very first, the pilot, you don't see the blood and gore. You know, it's so maybe, maybe they, maybe that was one of those things they were fighting over with uh, Showtime or the producers or whomever. Because they did mention that in one of the interviews, that they got a real hard push to make it an adult-themed show because of the channel. So thankfully, they move away from it. That is good. And there's... Absolutely no reason to do that. And I feel like with a lot of TV shows nowadays, like the new Star Trek show, I think I've probably mentioned this before, but I'm not going to let my kid watch that mm-hmm. no. because it's just too dark. It's too violent. There's yeah. way too much stuff in it. Whereas he can, he, I'd be fine with him watching this show, probably not this episode, this show, um, or older, older science fiction shows from the nineties where it, you can, I think people have forgotten how to tell a good, interesting story that can be enjoyed by both kids and adults without putting unnecessary stuff in it yeah it really gets to something that um you know movie critic steve Graydonis has mentioned in the past it's like you look at your 9 10 11 year olds and what entertainment really exists for them now i mean growing up we had indiana jones which you know could be bloody and stuff but you know we had star wars we had all these these shows but you know aside from the marvel movies really there's not a lot that exists for you know kids uh you know aged 8 through 13 that you know, is speculative you know, is that in that speculative fiction genre that isn't, you know, overly violent and, you know, objectionable to, to that list. Yeah. But I mean, even that, like you have to watch carefully with your kids too. even Ghostbusters, you know, it's like, oh, you're right. Whoa. Okay. I take that. Back. <laughs> my kids, made me think about it. my yeah. parents let me, but I, I, mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I was about, yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> I remember watching uh, both of those as a kid and then you rewatch, you rewatch them as an adult and you're like, I cannot believe my parents let yeah. me just watch this. Of course, it goes over your head. But, yeah. You know, we've done that a lot with the 80s movies we've watched with our kids and we watch it again and we're like, oh, OK, wait a second. Hang on. 
Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that the joke at the very end of the episode between um, O'Neill and Carter, I actually thought it was funny. The tank top number joke? I did, because I, I think to me that it shows the kind of the team development, right? That they that he could joke with her about it. And he, he wasn't meaning anything awful or, you know what I mean? He didn't say anything untoward to, to her. It was one of those like, no, no, we're, we're good. And then he throws it out there. Because I think that is very much as we see them later, um, the way that they joke and tease each other. And so mm-hmm. I, I actually liked it because I like the look on her face like, oh, no, you know, that. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I might be unpopular for that one, but I no, I, no, not I, at all. I, I, <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. And I really like how Richard Dean Anderson plays uh, Jack O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't come across as he's not like. And I, I know I keep referencing Star Trek. But it's kind of my my go to reference for 90s science fiction. But he's not like Commander Riker, where Commander Riker is a professional, upstanding officer, but he is a little. Uh, little less than professional with the ladies yeah and you don't get that kind of vibe from jack o'neill at all at least i haven't so far yeah he keeps it very above board when it comes to carter they they find ways to you know do the fan service and you know have their moments and stuff you know but yeah. it's it's always through some weird yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly alternate universe stuff yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. but no his character I, and he you know he did a good, he does a good job of playing this military officer, but having that sense of humor, but being extremely loyal to the team, but making it fun and quirky at the same time. So um, yeah. I like, and, and he has an individual relationship with each member of the team. And you'll notice in the beginning, especially that the team members don't really have a relationship to each other. Carter and Daniel, and Carter and Teal, and Daniel and Teal. You know, it's it's more about all of them point back to Jack right their personal relationship mm-hmm. to him and they do a good job as we go forward in the seasons really helping the characters develop to each other without him um but nice. here in the beginning it's 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 really all about jack i mean <laughs> yeah i'm okay with it being all about yeah. jack yeah <laughs> i am too and uh and full botanist teal i like full botanist teal okay i've never drawn blood but is it that easy <laughs> I think if you're teal, you can pretty much get blood anytime you want. Okay. Like, okay. yeah, probably. It's like just a like a juice minute, box to I'm him. I'm just going to yeah. show you go. It's like a Capri Sun. <laughs> but was anyone else happy when he just knocked the guy out and did it? I mean, yes, right. Yeah. I've <laughs> had to for an answer. I've, just... I've taken my kids in to get blood sometimes, and I, I I can sometimes tell when when the nurse or you know physician's assistant just wants to do that. But yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I would be interested to see, and this just goes back to how kind of all over the place this episode felt. I'd be interested to see like what the first draft of this episode was, and if this was just the first draft because it really felt like like mm-hmm. that. Jonathan Glasner has has written, you know, in that first season. I, I didn't do that, mm-hmm. but you know, just to to see if if they were kind of scattered like that as well but again it's it's you know early on in production they they needed some time to gel i think yeah definitely and i i do think um like you were mentioning lisa that this was kind of just a a more of a character building episode kind of throw some characters in different situations they wouldn't normally be in just to flesh that out Mm -hmm. yeah and it's a 
it's it's another very star trek type uh plot too you know last time we got kind of like a star trek type plot and this one could have been called like you know the naked oh no you didn't you know <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a yeah it's a combination of that and um is it called uh, it's that se- seventh season next generation episode where they all devolve into oh, the different the evolution episode yeah yeah the card mm-hmm. turns into a lemur yeah because that's how I evolution the block works. That was yeah. my memory. It's a bad one. <laughs> Barkley is a spider, which is the only good part about that yeah. episode. And Worf is like a dinosaur or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> I haven't seen that one again since it I will say, aired. I don't think we ever see that in Stargate. I think we're good. You don't have the seventh season slump. That's good. No, I'm sure there was a seventh season. <laughs> no, because we kept changing care. We, we, we had a few cast yeah. changes. So we yeah. were good. But no, they never get nice. changed into animals. No animorphs no. going on. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, no, no changing into furlings or anything. Sorry yep. if that, if you, Jack, you were looking forward to seeing that. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know if I want to continue with the show now. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this episode, I think if you look at the list for season one, we're about to jump off into some really, I mean, good episodes. I mean, I think once we've gotten past these, these first couple I mean, if you look at the list, we've we've got some good ones coming up, some real development of the storyline and the whole Stargate universe. So it's exciting. I mean, these were probably these last two, two of my least favorites, except for some way later on. But we won't talk about that. So the rest of season one, I, I'm going to it's going to rock. We're going to we're going to have fun. I do like the this next episode that's coming up. Mm-hmm. I've enjoyed I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, I haven't seen this one in uh in like like you say 15 years, but yeah. you know, I we do have some good ones coming up, so uh stay with us dear listener and uh Yeah. Yeah, if you're getting discouraged, don't get discouraged yet. <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> it gets better. Cuz even as like questionable and weird as this episode is it it still had its fans especially in germany and there is actually i did find a a group a german techno group who did a song specifically about this episode so uh i don't know if if there's a you know someone we can play it at the end of the the episode or maybe have it linked on the website but uh you know as we go through these episodes i'll keep uh you know searching uh the dark web and booting up my old windows 95 machine and checking (laughs) limewire just to see what's What's out there? So, do you like this? Uh, this this whole subculture of Stargate uh, songs. Yeah, it's very it was, interesting. Yeah, it is. You di- you didn't really see that. Well, you saw some some Star Trek songs, but not not certainly in the nineties. I had yeah. no idea that they existed. So this is this is a lot of fun. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you have uh, anything else to add, Lisa? No, I, I think we I think we covered it. I I'm just looking. Let's go for the next one, and there's a couple more this season. I'm I'm really looking forward to talking about. So, yeah. What about you, Victor? I'm still traumatized by uh, General Hammond's <laughs> bushy red eyebrows. Oh man! The split second <laughs> we see something. them. Yeah, it's it just brought back bad Doctor Who memories of the uh, the sixth Doctor serial, the two Doctors, where Patrick Troughton turned into an androgum and had these horrible eyebrows and. It, it's just a trigger for me. So if I never get to see those again, I'll be I'll be happy. But Daniel Jackson's unibrow is perfectly good, right? <laughs> no problems there. Okay. Yeah. okay. <laughs> I mean, that he looked like I mean, that that just was like a bad SNL skit, you know, uh, right. <laughs> definitely had a uh, Jim Carrey vibes. Dumb and dumber. <laughs> yes. But that was it. 
Well, before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Stargate, including Warren C., Matt B., Ricardo G., Mary B., and Charles W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Stargate and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Be sure to follow the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on the SQPN YouTube channel. To find previous episodes of Secrets of Stargate and to send feedback, please visit sqpn.com slash stargate. You can email us at stargate at sqpn.com or follow StarQuest on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or on Twitter at sqpn. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode of SG-1, The First Commandment. Until then, Lisa Jones, thank you for joining me and sharing the Secrets of Stargate. Thanks, Jack. And Victor Lambs, thank you as well. Thanks, Jack. And I am not Lucy. (laughs) Who's Lucy? And once again, I am Jack Barazzini. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Stargate on StarQuest. Anyway, I'm sorry, but that just happens to be how I feel about it. What do you think?